0: Alright, welcome, welcome everybody to another episode of the Final Final Podcast here. Thanks for listening in. Packed episode today with a lot of great things to discuss, including the NBA and the NFL. And then we'll get to the not-so-fun stuff at the end surrounding the MLB and the NCAA. But we'll start positive here on the Final Final. And it doesn't get any better right now than the NBA and their bubble. Let's first talk about the non-playing aspects of this NBA bubble, which may be just as or even more impressive than the games that we've seen thus far. So for starters, the social justice movement inside the NBA bubble hasn't slowed down one bit, which is what everyone and myself were hoping for would help convince these players that they should finish the season even in the midst of this movement and of course the pandemic, which is why we need the the bubble. But whether it's all over their apparel, the the jerseys, the back of their jerseys, on the courts, the commercials, and the statements. And very prominently in the interviews uh, these players are doing, the NBA has taken full advantage of the spotlight that they've had, and I'm really glad to see it happening. I mean, after every game, whoever the, the player of the game is that these guys interview, whether it's ESPN or TNT or NBA TV, all doing these games... Either the first or second question is about the social justice movement, which I think is fantastic. The game is is second to these players right now. They want to make sure that they're still talking about the social justice movement going on, which I think is great. Adam Silver, excuse me, and the NBA and the Players Union have done this perfectly with their restarted season. The safety, and of course, without taking away from the bigger things going on right now, it's just amazing. Something that may be overlooked a little bit right now, especially considering how great a lot or, or 90% of these games have been. I mean, even the fans that they've put in here, this virtual fans that they've been doing is way better than I was expecting. The fans videoing in to watch the games, able to cheer and the noise and the music that they are pumping into these stadiums or not stadiums, but these these courts that they that they're playing on right now. I don't really know how they could improve much from this NBA bubble restart. I mean, I was it maybe an episode or two episodes ago, I was uh making fun of Fox Sports's MLB per, uh, virtual fans where they were putting computer fans on their on their screen but it was it was varying from camera angles so sometimes they were there and sometimes they weren't and it looked really horrible. I mean the sound from that they're that they're pumping into the TV for the viewers to watch is fine and that's been pretty good across the boards from NBA and MLB and even the NHL a little bit. But the fans that the NBA has been able to put into their games with these fans videoing in on the sideboard and then on both ends of of the hoop, so when players are are shooting free throws and stuff like that, there's fans in front of them there. That looks really great. It doesn't look awkward at all. It doesn't sound awkward. I mean from from a viewer standpoint it it looks like an actual game. and these games have been intense. I mean, if you watched the the eight game restart it was fantastic. We had I mean, just great, I mean, we had the Portland Trailblazers work their way up into the play in game. We had the Phoenix Suns, of the 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 very bottom team. Before coming into this, uh, this bubble, go 8-0, and half a game away or a tiebreaker away from making it into the play-in game. Everybody wanted them in the play-in game or try to make the playoffs, which would have been great. Devin Booker and the Phoenix Suns were really fun to watch, which is something you rarely ever hear say. But that was that was amazing. And then you have teams flip-flopping spots and, and you had uh, Portland Trailblazers versus the Memphis Grizzlies in that play-in game ultimately, Portland and Damian Lillard, who has just been the best player in this bubble by far, or not by far, but, but clearly the best player in this NBA bubble restart. And they worked their way into the playoffs after they were, what, almost four games behind at one point. I think they lost maybe one game in this restart so far. So it's just been really impressive. All these games, even I, a couple of things I was concerned about was if the scoring would be low, if the play would be sloppy, and sometimes it is, and that's just regular basketball at this point, but it's just been great. The, the eight-game restart, I think, was a brilliant idea to get these teams up to speed a little bit, some teams up to speed more than others, but just a fantastic restart so far, and now we're into the playoffs. One game in for everybody so far, so it's just been exciting to watch. But other than, uh, other than the games, I think the NBA has done fantastic, both with the safety Of the bubble, zero positive COVID tests in the past, maybe what, at least a month, almost two months now, they've had zero COVID positive tests in the bubble. When players leave, they have to quarantine for a couple days, depending on where they went and making sure that they still uh, tested negative while they are away from the bubble. The virtual fans, like I talked about, are just way better than I was expecting with their big video boards. And then, of course, with their social justice continuation, whether it be they have messages on the courts they have the messages on the jerseys so you see every time they show those all the questions that the reporters are asking after the games and even the commercials that you're watching when the games are going on just fantastic i think the nba bubble has been a huge success for them so far so that's really fun and great to see why don't we go ahead now and move on to the first round matchups and predictions so the first round matchups in this playoffs we have the number one seed lakers in the west we'll start in the west here we have the number one seed Los Angeles Lakers versus the number eight seed Trailblazers. Like I said, the Trailblazers worked their way into that play-in game, which was part of this new restart, made it past the Memphis Grizzlies, so now they get to face the Lakers. Trailblazers actually also won game one the other night. This is going to be, I mean, the Trailblazers are the hottest team no matter what. It's it does not its not really a normal one versus eight seed because the Trailblazers were in the Western Conference Finals just a year ago. So this is a really dangerous eight seed the Lakers have been really poor in their three-point shooting right now Avery Bradley their starting shooting guard decided not to come to the NBA bubble he was decided to stay home and and focus on other things so I mean the Lakers right now are down 1-0 there's no home court advantage in the bubble and we see that as it has an effect on the top two seeds and I'll get to that in the Eastern Conference in a second but the Lakers struggled with intensity it seemed at times so we'll have to see I still think the Lakers are going to win this series but I got the Lakers winning this one in six games. Possibly it could go seven games with the way that the Trail Trailblazers have been playing. But this isn't your normal one versus eight seed first round matchup in the NBA playoffs. The Trailblazers are not your normal eight seed. In a normal I mean, they, they had a really, really poor start to their season this year. They turned it around in this bubble, of course. But last year, like I said, they made the Western Conference Finals. So this is not your normal eight seed. But I think the Lakers will still be able to pull this one off. I'll take the Lakers in six games here. So then we go to the Clippers versus the Mavericks. That's your two versus seven seed in the Western Conference playoffs. Clippers won game one. Really close game. Luka Doncic had over 40 points in his first playoff game, his playoff debut. Kristaps Porzingis, their other really young star, he got ejected in the third quarter, and that kind of changed the aspect of this game. The, The Mavericks almost had a chance to steal a game from the Clippers. The Clippers have Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Really strong defensive team with Patrick Beverly as well. I think the Mavericks will be able to get at least one game. I'm not sure if they're going to be able to get two. I think their best chance to get two games would have been if they won game one here and then maybe stole another game, or not stole another game, but won another game, maybe like game five or game four or something like that. But since I think the Clippers were able to come away with this one, I think the Clippers will advance and win this one in five games. But it's really fun to watch Luka Doncic in the playoffs. This guy's going to be averaging 30 for 10 years in this league. So this, the Mavericks are a team that next year are going to be really fun and hopefully can advance in the playoffs. Don't get stuck with a really tough matchup in the first round like the Los Angeles Clippers, who are one of the favorites, to make it to the NBA Finals this year. So I've got Lakers in six, Clippers in five in their matchup. The third matchup in the Western Conference playoffs is the Denver Nuggets in the Utah Jazz. That's your three versus six. This one, I struggle between picking the the Jazz and the Nuggets, but I, I ultimately went with the Denver Nuggets in seven games. I think you could take the Jazz. This game or this series is tied up one apiece after the Jazz just won game two, I think, earlier this afternoon. So it's tied up at one apiece right now, but I think this one's going to go the distance with seven. Utah is missing a couple of guys. Bogdan Bogdanovic, I, I, he's got a younger brother too that's got a similar name, but uh, Bogdanovic had decided not to, or he had an injury actually, actually. So he couldn't participate in the rest of the Western Conference playoffs and, and even in the bubble. And also Mike Conley is going to be coming back, but he, he missed game one. That could have been a game where Donovan Mitchell, their, their star shooting guard, star point guard, had 57 points, and the Jazz still ended up losing that game. So if they were able to steal that one, they'd be up 2-0 right now. And instead we might be looking at Jazz in seven or Jazz in six. But I think Denver, Nikola Jokic. And Michael Porter Jr. actually has been coming on really strong in this bubble, Uh, a second-year guy, a guy who everyone thought was going to be the number one overall pick in his draft class, but slipped all the way down to Denver at 14 because of a a serious back injury that he's been able to get over now and has just been rejuvenated in this bubble. And then Jamal Murray in Denver is going to be too much. I think they'll be able to win this one in seven games. And then you go to the last matchup in the first round, which is the Houston Rockets versus the Oklahoma City Thunder. At, at first, I thought maybe the, the Thunder, who have surprised a lot of people. This was supposed to be a bottom five team when they traded Russell Westbrook and Paul George this past offseason, got back Chris Paul and Shy Gilgis-Alexander, Danilo Gallinari. This was supposed to be a team that was in the bottom five, a lottery team, looking for a top five pick possibly. Here they are, top five in the Western Conference, trying to advance it. and And a lot of people were giving them a chance to advance because Houston is without their second-best player, Russell Westbrook, for at least this first round with an injury. But after watching Game 1, James Harden the Rockets, when they start knocking down threes like that, they're really hard to beat. But the Thunder have just been incredible. I think they have the Coach of the Year and Billy Donovan on their team with, like I said, from being a bottom-five team, everybody projecting, to being a top-five team in the Western Conference has just been incredible. But I think the Rockets are going to pull this one out in six games i i would have thought possibly seven but after watching game one i don't know if the thunder will be able to keep up with uh the firepower and the three-point shooting that the rockets have i mean the rockets could go cold a couple games that's why i think the thunder will, will still be able to win two games in the series but ultimately i'll have the the rockets taking this one in six games so first round winners i've got lakers in six clippers in five denver nuggets in seven and then the houston rockets in six games so that'll be really fun and we'll see how how those all play out. But the the playoffs have been great as well so far. A lot of close games. Man, this this bubble has just been fantastic so far. All right, so let's move to the Eastern Conference predictions then for round one. We've got the one versus eight seed Milwaukee Bucks versus Orlando Magic, and another stunner here as Orlando actually just walloped Milwaukee in this first game, beating them by over 10, 15 points and taking the series lead 1-0. I still think the Bucks... The Bucs have to rattle off four straight wins here. They've been struggling in this NBA bubble restart. I don't know if it's consistency or what, but their defense has really struggled because the way Milwaukee plays defense is they play inside out. They don't give you easy dunks, easy layups, easy in-the-paint jump shots. They've got all those long, tall players, Brooke Lopez, Giannis, Chris Middleton. Those guys defend the rim really well, but then they let teams get wide-open looks at the three-point line. And that's where Milwaukee then struggles with their defense. If they have such a good inside, like they're not giving up easy buckets, they're going to make teams make threes. And teams have been making threes right now, so I don't know if they have to change something with their defensive approach. But it hasn't been working up to this point right now. And we saw it in game one against the Orlando Magic where they have a stretch five center in Vukovic who's able to knock out. I think he made five threes in that first game. So that's something where that's going to hurt Milwaukee where if teams aren't necessarily going into the paint or they have a stretch five, Milwaukee has their own stretch five as well in Brooke Lopez. But if they can knock down threes like that, Milwaukee's defense is going to struggle. Now their offense wasn't as much better as well in game one. Chris Middleton with 14 points, Brooke Lopez under 10 points. You need more from those two guys. You need Brooke Lopez to be able to knock down threes and spread the floor. Otherwise, when Giannis has 31 points and 17 rebounds, uh, it's not going to help him much when they're clogging up the lane. Because, yeah, I mean, Giannis had two threes. He might have had the most threes on the team yesterday. But um, still, the, the, they need more from Chris Middleton especially. He's got to be over 20 points a game. That's that's a worry that a lot of people keep bringing up is, is if he struggles in the postseason, will that be a reason that Giannis decides, hey, I need to go find a team where I can win, where I have better supporting cast, even though he has a great supporting cast here in Milwaukee. They haven't really proven it in the playoffs thus far. Last year in the Eastern Conference Finals, we saw how that kind of hurt them against the Toronto Raptors. We'll see, but Milwaukee also missing 10 free throws yesterday, losing by, I think, like 15, so that's a different ball game. Got to make your free throws down there too. Giannis, a big culprit there as he's around maybe a 65 70% free throw shooter. Either way, a lot went wrong for Milwaukee yesterday. I'm still not concerned about them. I've got them winning this in five. They've got to turn up their intensity. Like I said with the Lakers, no home court advantage. It just seemed like they were like they were uh, just going through the motions at some points throughout that game the other night. So hopefully they'll be able to turn that around. But I've got the Bucs winning this one four straight, so in five, even though Orlando has the lead 1-0. All right, so then the 2-7, Raptors versus Nets. Nets were just the depleted team coming into this playoffs still really impressed actually with how they've been playing throughout this bubble. I didn't think they were going to be able to win any games or, or be competitive in any of them, but they've won multiple games, been competitive in a lot. They're unfortunately down 2-0 to the Toronto Raptors right now, and they just lost their second game today. Just a sloppy last possession. I think they lost by five, had a chance to take the lead or tie for the lead in the last shot, and they just turned the ball over, so they're close. They're They're not blowout games for every game that the nets have been playing which has been impressive but toronto has a lot of guys that do everything they play hard all the time the raptors right now with the way the bucks have been playing look like the favorite in the eastern conference so they're up 2-0 right now on 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 the nets i think toronto is going to sweep the nets win this one in four games and they'll be moving on and have time to prepare for their uh second round matchup which we'll get to possibly who they're Matchup would be right here with the three and six seed games of the Celtics and the 76ers. Now, normally, this would be a fantastic series, could go seven games and could go either way, but this right now, the 76ers are struggling a little bit. Their second best player, Ben Simmons, is likely out for the rest of the year, had an injury and had to leave the bubble. So we'll see if he's able to return, but if he does, I don't think he'll be ready for the Celtics 76ers game. Celtics starting to turn it up a little bit too. Jason Tatum. And Jalen Brown, two of their young stars, starting to turn into superstars almost. Jason Tatum averaging close to 30 points per game before the, the season shut down. Now starting to bring that back as the playoffs start here. I've got the Celtics winning one, this one in six games. I think Joel Embiid can win two games for the the, the Philadelphia 76ers. Him and Tobias Harris and Al Horford can, can hopefully get two games off the, the Boston Celtics here. This would be a great series if Ben Simmons was healthy, if Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons were, were clicking right now. But, of course, Ben Simmons isn't healthy, and, and the 76ers weren't necessarily clicking before. So I've got the Celtics winning this one in six games. And then our last matchup in the Eastern Conference is the four-seeded Pacers and the five-seeded Miami Heat. And I've got the Miami Heat winning this one in seven games, so the, the five-seed here winning. They won game one. Pretty convincingly, it's, it's a close matchup. I think these these uh, two teams are evenly matched for, for a seven-game series. Miami, Jimmy Butler, and, and some great three-point shooting around him. The Indiana Pacers may have lost Victor Oladipo to an eye injury in Game 1, too, which could really hurt this team. They're already without all-star big man DeMontis Sabonis. So, I mean, they're already missing a guy like that. They can't have too many more injuries to this team, so unfortunately, I don't think they're going to be able to recover from that. But it's going to be a close series. Indiana always plays hard. They're a great defensive team as well. Just a couple of guys that they're missing, especially if they're if possibly their best player in Victor Oladipo, who's been struggling with injuries. Now he's got this eye injury that he got poked yesterday and, and kind of swelled up a little bit. But he's been, he's, he came back, and now he's gone again, so we'll see. But either way, I think uh, this will still be a seven-game series, but I'll give it to the Miami Heat here. So then that would be my second round matchups would be between the Lakers and the Rockets in the Western Conference, Clippers and the Nuggets. And then in the Eastern Conference, I would have Bucks versus the Heat and Raptors versus the Celtics. Not a lot of upsets, and and you don't really get that too often. But, I mean, this year could be totally different. I I think the Thunder could possibly be an upset. The Jazz could be an upset team. Like, I, I don't know if you could necessarily consider the Heat an upset team. That's a pretty even draw right there. But either way. I mean, we haven't seen a one seed go down to an eight seed in a long time. That could happen this year, but the Lakers and Bucks are considered favorites to make it to the finals. But I mean, it's all different without with no home court advantage. Like I said, Bucks and, and Lakers struggling with intensity at times, and that's something where the home crowd can help turn that intensity and in those uh, lulls in the game. They can help the home team turn that around quicker. And the Bucks and the Lakers won't have that advantage this year, so that's something we'll have to see. But and the reason that I don't, there's not a lot of upsets usually in the first round at least of, of NBA playoff predictions for a lot of people is because it's a seven game series. And a seven game series is supposed to have the better team come out on top. It's not like the NCAA tournament where you see 15 seeds beat two seeds or where we saw, was it now two, two, three years ago where a 16 seed beat the one seed. But usually you'll have lots of 12, five upsets or even 13, four upsets. You don't usually get that. In the NBA playoffs because of a seven game series the better team will end up coming out on top so that's how I uh I see it going right now we'll see but it's it's been great basketball so far and the NBA bubble has been a huge success in my opinion at least all right so let's move on now to the NFL and training camp getting fully underway now full pads training camp which is exciting to watch I've started working at NFL Network again which is why I I haven't been able to do a podcast episode as frequently as I'd like, but it's great to be back at the NFL Network. Hearing and seeing full padded practice is fantastic, and, and even better is the numbers that we're seeing on players that are on or have been on this COVID injury list, which is, I believe, currently at 10 players. Of There's 80 players per roster right now. They haven't had to do cutdowns yet, so 80 times 32. You do the math. I'm not going to do it right now. But all, all of uh, 10 players of all those guys have been on this uh, COVID injury list. I believe there are over about 42,000 tests on players, coaches, staff, managers, equipment managers, and stuff like that. And they've had incredibly low positive test rates, which is amazing. And reportedly, a lot of the tests that have come back positive could possibly be false positives as well, which they're doing, and they're figuring out a way to get around that and get those um, false positives back to negatives, so those players don't miss any time. Another thing too is saliva testing, which has been discovered and and approved by I don't know if it's the is it the CDC possibly, but someone has approved the saliva testing, which the NBA was a part of getting started. And and what it does is it hopefully it's coming soon, which is faster results, faster turnaround time, and and just as accurate, if not more accurate results, which hopefully means less false positives, which teams are hoping for too. They've been doing daily testing. I think they're doing daily testing up until games start on September 5th. All the naysayers about the start of the NFL season being in jeopardy when it first, uh, when training camp first started and players uh, coming in with positive tests, uh, me included, I, I was very skeptical and, and worried about it. But it's looking good so far. Keep your fingers crossed and keep hoping for a turnaround and the continued success and luck here for the NFL. I mean, the, the, the thing about this season is disciplined teams – and the leaders on this team that tell their teams, hey, we got to be disciplined in what we do once we leave the facility. The facility is going to be super safe. We've seen all the videos of how teams have split up their locker rooms, the testing that they do before they come in, the temperature screening, all all the barriers they put up. They've done everything inside the building. It's what these players do once they leave. It's once they leave what they do. We saw actually a Seahawks rookie tried to sneak in a guest into the the player's hotel and tried to disguise her as a as a Seahawks player sneaker in but as soon as they caught him they let him go that's not something teams want to deal with right now that's jeopardizing the rest of the team and the safety there <laughs> but it, it anyways it's a that's a funny story that we were able to learn about but either way it's the the healthiest team and the most disciplined teams are going to have the success this year because if you're starting quarterback you're starting o-line you're starting wide receivers yeah, everybody. You're starting running back. If they're all on the field, that's going to give you the best chance for success. If a team's missing, I mean, we're not sure. We're not. I'm sure we're not going to see uh, starting quarterbacks missing for for weeks. Hopefully, that's knock on wood here. But um, but if a team is missing a starting right tackle, if a team is missing a starting cornerback, that could hamper them for a game. And then all of a sudden, you know, we know how close these uh, season records get at the end of the season one game could be the decision between making that wild card spot or missing the playoffs this year. So the healthy teams and the disciplined teams are going to be making it and, and having success this year. So we'll have to see who those teams are. And hopefully right now, what we're seeing with all these, all these great test results is all teams are being disciplined and are taking this seriously and are doing a great job so far. So keep your fingers crossed that that continues for the NFL. It's, it's really awesome to see. And padded practices are back. I love looking at my phone these days and all the Packers uh, beat reporters and all the Packers reporters that I follow. I go on to, on to Twitter and social media and all I see is this Packer did this and, and we're seeing the offense is doing great or the defense has, has turned it up. And it's just awesome to watch all the <laughs> all the instant news of the, of the beat reporters getting to be at training camp and to get all those specific details. I just love it this time of year. So that's great to see so far. One concern though, is the possibility of the rise in injuries with the shortened offseason and the shortened period before play begins. They have to get in 14 padded practices before um, the season starts on September 5th. It's going to be a tight schedule. But with the short ramp-up period, we've started to see some leg and knee and ankle injuries pop up. The hope is those don't continue rising with this unique offseason. I mean, we've seen guys like Gerald McCoy, the new uh, defensive tackle that the Cowboys signed. He's already done for the year with a big quad injury. A couple guys on other teams, that's just something that we have to hope that doesn't rise. We've seen it before. There's no preseason game, so I mean, no ramp-up period there either. Hopefully, once the season rolls around, we just don't see a big slew of injuries come around from there being maybe little to, to no ramp-up period for these guys to get into into shape. So we're hoping for a good, healthy week one. We've seen some injuries start now. Hopefully, those don't continue to rise. But on the positive side of injuries, believe it or not, there is a positive side to injuries, and and by that I mean talking about Alex Smith here, the former 49ers and Chiefs QB, now with the Washington Football Team. If you remember him joining them on the almost two years ago now, but uh, if you remember almost almost two years ago when he was playing for them, he had that horrific leg injury. He hasn't been on the field, but he's been practicing with them now for the past two days. He had 17 leg surgeries on that leg that he broke when I believe it was against the Houston Texans. 17 leg surgeries after that horrific break. And there was a possibility at one point that he might lose his leg at at some point throughout this whole process. Now back on the practice field with a chance to compete for a starting spot on the team. I mean, just an amazing story and something Everyone in the NFL is just proud and, and awesome to see comeback player of the year. Even if he doesn't play this year, it would just is just sweet. I think that that would be more than worthy of it. I mean, he still looks like he's walking around a little bit gingerly on it. So I don't know if he'll be playing this year. They have Dwayne Haskins, the second year quarterback now out of Ohio State. But I mean, just if once once they get into eleven on elevens, maybe if guys start diving at his feet, we'll see how skittish he is. But I don't know if he he'll be playing this year. But he could even possibly play next year. I think he's around the same age as, as Aaron Rodgers drafted in the same draft class so 35 36 year years of age around that time so he still has a chance to play in this league um, might not be this year just to give him one more year of actually practicing and getting into that game shape but wow what an awesome story like I'm said comeback player of the year even if he doesn't take a snap for this team All right so last thing with the with the NFL let's get to what's continue actually My records predictions for the year this week, we have the AFC and NFC South, and then we'll finish off next episode with the AFC and NFC East. But this week, we've got the Souths in both uh, conferences, and we'll start with the AFC South. So AFC South, I've got the Indianapolis Colts on top of this division with a 10 and 6 record. That's good enough to put them as the four seed in the playoffs. The Houston Texans and Tennessee Titans then next following with a 7 and 9 record each there. And then I've got the Jacksonville Jaguars with a three and thirteen record. So I'll give you my reasons here for each team uh, in, in the records. And the first we'll start with Indy. And Indy possibly has the best offensive line in the NFL. And now they have a new quarterback that they're going to be protecting this year in Philip Rivers. And Philip Rivers is a big upgrade in my opinion over Jacoby Brissett. And people talk about the horrible year that that Philip Rivers had last year, over twenty interceptions, I believe, for the Chargers. But the reason I think he's a big upgrade and and his numbers are inflated last year, especially the interceptions, is he had a horrible offensive line in Los Angeles for the Chargers last year, and he just had to sometimes, he had to take three-step drops and just heave the ball up in the air, and that's where a lot of these interceptions came from. With an offensive line as good as Indianapolis' is, he'll have time to drop back, go through his progression the Phillip Rivers that we know where he could possibly throw for 5,000 yards and in 35 plus touchdowns. Now I'm not saying those are the numbers that he's going to put up at his age of what is he maybe 39 almost 40 at this point but still I think Phillip Rivers is still a great quarterback in this league. I think he'll have over 4,000 yards passing with this with this Indianapolis Colts team so there's a big upgrade there at quarterback. He's got better offensive weapons I believe in in Jonathan Taylor now the new rookie running back out of Wisconsin him running behind that offensive line. They've got Michael Pittman Jr., a second-round wide receiver that they've drafted, TY Hilton if he can stay healthy. And then that defense is still improving. I mean they they went out and invested in DeForest Buckner, the defensive lineman formerly for the San Francisco 49ers. He's going to eat up a lot of space and provide a lot of help for their all-pro linebacker Darius Leonard who's now in his third season, one of the better middle linebackers in this league. They've got some young guys in the secondary, Malik Hooker in that secondary as well. They signed veteran Xavier Rhodes, a good cornerback from the Minnesota Vikings. I think everything about this team, this looks like a complete team in Indianapolis. That's why I've got them at 10-6 and six range, making the playoffs as the division winner of the AFC South right there. Frank Reich, a really good coach too, a candidate for coach of the year almost every year. Big upgrade at quarterback is the reason why these Colts are going to be making the playoffs this year after missing out last year. I think that's why the Colts are the winner of this division. Houston now, the division winner last year. The, they, they traded away DeAndre Hopkins in probably the most mind-boggling and head-scratching deal that I've seen in my lifetime for, for a trade, trading away a top-three wide receiver for not even a, one first-round pick. But the loss of him, they have they kind of have the Houston Texans have a iffy offensive line at times. They have a poor secondary. My, my question is, does Deshaun Watson have to do too much for this offense? So they'll have David Johnson as a running back, but he hasn't performed well in the last two to three years. I mean, at wide receiver, they have Brandon Cooks, Will Fuller, and Randall Cobb. I mean, Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller have their injury history. Brandon Cooks with the c- concussions and Will Fuller with the leg injuries. I mean, if, if one of those guys go down, then their their wide receiver core is even more depleted already without DeAndre Hopkins. Just I think those are too big of losses for them to overcome. And and like I said, I, I fear that Deshaun Watson is gonna have to do too much to carry this team. That that's not saying that he can't, but I I'm just saying I don't know if he can do it for a full sixteen games. That's why I've got them at about seven and nine. The Tennessee Titans at seven and nine as well. They have big losses. In the trenches, they lost starting right tackle Jack Conklin. They lost defensive tackle Jarrell Casey as well. And my my question is, will Derrick Henry be run down this season the way they just keep feeding him the ball? I think it's now two to three years in a row with over 300 carries now. That's a lot for a running back. They paid him a lot this offseason, four-year, $50 million deal, I believe. But at some point, it's just going to wear on his body. He's a big guy. And, and I really love watching him run, especially in the second half of seasons when he seems to somehow turn it on and, and get even more. But I'm just worried if, if he'll be run down a little bit this year and maybe his possible fourth or third straight year with 300-plus carries. And, and the other thing, too, are you sold on Ryan Tannehill in the season that he had last year? Is this something that he's going to be able to repeat and continue to do again? I don't know if it was a fluke thing. I mean, we saw why he was released in Miami, and he was originally the backup here in Tennessee. Is he going to revert back to that? I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm entirely sold on Ryan Tannehill. If he he can prove me wrong again this year, and then I probably won't doubt the Tennessee Titans next year, but I'm not necessarily sure if I'm sold on, on Ryan Tannehill being a franchise quarterback. I mean, they paid him like one, but I I don't know. It was just a 13-game stretch, a really, really impressive 13-game stretch, but... I'm not sure if I'm sold on him necessarily doing that for two straight years, so we'll have to see. That's why I've got Tennessee at 7-9, definitely a team that could, could prove me wrong, and it's mostly Ryan Tannehill that has to prove me wrong. It was an impressive last season. We'll see if he can do that again this year. And then Jacksonville Jaguars, 3-13. I think they're uh, tanking for Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence. I'm not sure if they're going to actually be tanking, but there's holes all over this defense. Yannick Ngakwe, their, their star defensive end, he wants out and doesn't want to be franchise tag. I think this team's going to be drafting in the top three next year. Gardner Minshew is, is, is a fun story and a fun character. If you watch any of his press conferences, I'll see if I can get some sound on one of my podcasts one of these times, but he is just absolutely hilarious, but I'm not necessarily sure if I'm sold on him being a franchise quarterback. I'm not sure if the Jaguars are sold on it either. I think this is a team that should be vying for Trevor Lawrence, most certainly. But like I said, defensive holes everywhere. Um, letting Clayus Campbell go for a fifth-round pick, trading away Jalen Ramsey last year, trading away their second-best corner in A.J. Bouye. The, the, this following offseason, or this current offseason, they traded him away. Jacksonville is going to be one of the bottom teams, I believe, in the NFL this year. That's why I've got them at 3-13. and 13. All right, so then we go to the NFC South, where I have the New Orleans Saints at 12-4. and 4. That's good enough to put them as the number one seed in the NFC. Tied record with the San Francisco 49ers, but I think there's a tiebreaker somewhere in there that I have. Maybe the Saints and 49ers played this up a year, and I, I think I must have had the Saints winning that game. So 12-4 and 4 gets them the number one seed in the division crown in the NFC South. Tampa Bay Buccaneers at 10 and 6, that's good enough for the 6 seed in a wild card spot with Tom Brady now there. Atlanta Falcons between 7 and 9 and 8 and 8, I think in in the reason, I'll get to it in a second, but they're just in a tough division. It's it's hard for them. They they're, they're going to be an improvement, I think on last year. They're just in a really hard division with the Saints and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers now being an improved team. And then the Carolina Panthers at 5 and 11, it's going to be a tough year for them with a new coach. New offensive coordinator, new defense, just all new coaching system and a new starting quarterback as well in this unique offseason. But we'll get to, we'll start with the Saints on why I think they will be the number one seed in the NFC. Just a loaded offense, top three offensive line. They've got probably the two best tackles, left tackle and right tackle with Ryan Ramchick, a a first-team All-Pro out of Wisconsin, being a first-team All-Pro last year. Loaded offense, Drew Brees, Alvin Kamara. Michael Thomas, you add Emmanuel Sanders, they have a really solid number two wide receiver. Last year, something they didn't really have. They have a solid tight end in Jared Cook as well. Like I mentioned, Elvin Kamara, they have Latavius Murray to take some pressure off of Kamara as well. Loaded offense top to bottom, especially with that offensive line being a top three unit as well. Continuity, remember I I mentioned this in my last episode. Teams that are returning, head coach, offensive coordinator, quarterback all this continuity that teams can have with this unique offseason which i keep bringing up over and over again the better teams will be i've mentioned it with the chiefs i've mentioned it with the packers i've mentioned it with the 49ers the more you can return from last year the more you can already have those mental reps in you can focus on the the fine-tuning and improving off of last year the better i think teams will be coming into this upcoming season they've got defensive playmakers all over the field cameron jordan Marshawn Lattimore got a couple of new linebackers, Zach Bond, Demario Davis. And the the last thing that I think is going to really help the Saints now, they're nearing the end of the Drew Brees era, and there's a ton of urgency for them to finally get back and win a second Super Bowl for Drew Brees. We've seen it the past three seasons now, just heartbreak in the playoffs, whether it's the Vikings, the, the two years in a row now, or the Rams on missing out on the Super Bowl. Urgency is a big thing for the New Orleans Saints, and I think that's going to help them at least in the regular season. We'll see how it helps them once we get to the playoffs. All right, so then the Buccaneers I have at 10 and 6, making the playoffs. Easy decision, easy reason at least here. Not necessarily easy decision, but easy reason why I have them at such an improvement Tom Brady and the winning culture and the explosive offense that he's going to have with him. Now, like I've said, like I've been saying, continuity is going to be a big thing. I think Tom Brady is, is a little bit of an exception there. He's so smart. He'll be able to learn this offense and, and bring guys along. And, and, and the, the attitude that he has is going to improve everyone on this team. He's a, he's a win. It's, a, it's win or nothing for him at, at this point in his career. And everybody else will know that playing along. So the defense will play harder knowing that Tom Brady is, is judging and, and on your team and, and knowing what he can do on your offense. So I think that that's a big reason of why the, the Buccaneers will make the playoffs. Bruce Arians is a great head coach as well. I think Tom and Bruce Arians will get along and, and work that out. Defense is going to step up. They have to step up. They have great linebackers, a great defensive line. The the question is, is that secondary, but the defense has to step up. But like I said, with Tom Brady being there, I think everybody steps up their game a little bit. The one thing that, that worries me a little bit with this team is can that offensive line Protect Tom Brady. He's not a mobile quarterback. He really never has been, especially now that he's 43 years old. That offensive line is a little bit of a question mark. They're going to be starting a rookie at right tackle or left tackle, I believe. That's something that that we're going to have to watch. If t- Tom Brady might have all these weapons, and in, in Chris Godwin, and Mike Evans, and Rob Gronkowski, and OJ Howard, he might have all these weapons. But if he doesn't have time to get it to him, then the point is mute. So we got to hope. That that defense or that offensive line is able to protect Tom Brady, and then we'll see this Buccaneers team succeed. I believe. All right, so then we'll get to the Atlanta Falcons, who I have at seven and nine. I could put them at eight and eight as well, but I have them at seven and nine. Actually, I'll probably have them go eight and eight around around five hundred. But the reason that this is a team that I struggled with, because like I said, they're be in the second year in this new offensive system. They had a they had a really rough. I believe first half of the season last year. I think they started off one and seven, or maybe two and seven in their first nine games, and they, they came back and finished around five hundred. I think around seven and nine. But the, they have all first rounders at their starting positions on offense. So the the they five offensive linemen, their quarterback, running back, their two wide receivers, and their tight end, all first rounders. But the the problem is they're just in this really tough division. Like I said, the Saints, possibly the best team in the NFC now. The the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, such an improved team with Tom Brady in that offense now with Tom Brady and in the way that he'll be able to protect the ball on offense. I just don't know how the Falcons are going to be able to weather that. They have a really suspect defense, and especially in the secondary. I'm not sure if they're going to be able to prevent teams from putting up these big numbers on them and then just expecting Matt Ryan to bail out the defense throughout the year. They're certainly capable of doing it. I just think they're in really one of the tougher divisions in football. So that's where they're going to struggle, and and that's why I think they'll be around 500. And then the Carolina Panthers, just just an easy team to choose as a struggling team, possibly because of like I said, new head coach, new offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, new starting quarterback. So a whole new system for Teddy Bridgewater and the coach to learn without much of it, which without much of an off season. So tough with the unique no continuity or or time to learn this new system. And also on the defense, they had so many departures. I think they had they lost all four starters on their defensive line, had to replace them with some rookies and, and early-round rookies. They're also missing Luke Kuechly now for the first time in probably a decade. The leader of that defense, and the reason why that defense was always solid, you didn't have to really worry about who was back there. Luke Kuechly is going to be gone now, and it's just going to be a really young defense. That's why I've got that them at about 5-11. and Going to be a team that struggles this year, hopefully, if they struggle and they're near the top of the draft board, it doesn't. they don't just pull the plug on Teddy Bridgewater because of this, this offseason and this upcoming season. If they struggle, hopefully they give Teddy Bridgewater a chance going into next year as well if they struggle because of he didn't really have the time to learn the offensive system. He's a smart guy. I'm sure he'll be able to to, to win a couple of games and, and he'll figure it out, but the rest of the team might not be up to par as well, so I hope they, they give Teddy Bridgewater a chance there. All right, so just to recap, we've got the AFC South, the Indianapolis Colts 10 and 6 making the playoffs and winners of the AFC South division, Houston Texans and Tennessee Titans at 7 and 9, Jacksonville Jaguars at the bottom of the NFL in total at 3 and 13. And then NFC South, two teams here making it into the playoffs, New Orleans Saints, Tampa Bay Buccaneers 12 and 4, 10 and 6 respectively, and then Atlanta at 7 and 9 with Carolina following up in the rear at 5-11. and Those are my predictions for the AFC and NFC South. We'll get to my final ones for the AFC and NFC East in my next episode. We'll get to the seven teams in each conference then that make the playoffs according to me, and we'll see how that plays out throughout the whole year, and hopefully we'll be able to revisit it once a completed, safe, full 2020 football season happens. Cross your fingers there on that as well. All right, let's move on to the MLB. This is where we start to get into a little bit of the negative portion of this episode, unfortunately, but hopefully we can pick it back up a little bit at the end with my final and my final, final thought. But let's start here with baseball. Two major breakouts already this year between the Miami Marlins and the St. Louis Cardinals in terms of COVID-19 breakouts. Cardinals just started playing again after about two weeks of not playing games. How can they make up 14 games (laughs) At this point, I believe we're already a third of the way through the season. At least most teams are over that thresh point already. 14 games they have to make up in two-thirds of the season left. 14 games is almost a third of the season. So I have no clue how the MLB plans on making those games up for the Cardinals. They've started doing a lot of seven-inning doubleheaders, which makes sense. I'm totally fine with the seven-inning doubleheaders. But that's a lot of baseball for the Cardinals and these other teams to try and make up for them. Now the Cincinnati Reds have postponed two straight games due to positive tests. So hopefully this isn't our third team to break out and cancel multiple games at this point. The games have continued. There hasn't been a league-wide shutdown, which is great. But these cancellations are tough for them to navigate through as well. Um, like I said, a little over a third of the way and through the season. Can we finish this season out? I don't know. I'm I'm hoping so. I just when these teams have these, when we had the Miami Marlins and we had the St. Louis Cardinals cancel games, not only or postpone games, that not, not only does that affect them, that affects the teams that they were supposed to be playing. So we'll have some teams that play the full 60 games, but then we'll have other teams that maybe have 55. How do you determine who then gets into the playoffs off of that? I mean, one team could have more wins, but the other team has a better win percentage. That's something that that's been frustrating for baseball at this point. Um, you know, but I'm hoping I'm really hoping on my next episode I'm not talking about COVID for baseball. I would much rather be talking about who the MVB could be in this 60-game season or teams that could sneak into the playoffs with this extended format. That's what I want to be doing. But this is what is happening with baseball right now. This is the news about them. I mean, I'll, I'll talk about my final thought and something that'll be an interesting topic as as I haven't ever discussed this before because it's it doesn't get brought up too often. But either way. For baseball, this is not what we want to be docking. So let's cross our fingers. I'm telling you to cross your fingers on a lot of stuff here because we're just uh, we're just hoping here for stuff to keep continuing to either stay positive or turn around really quick. Come to coming to the NFL and, and, and the MLB since they don't have this bubble format that the NBA and NHL have. But either way, let's hope next next episode I'll be talking about possible MVP candidates and teams that could sneak into this extended playoff format with only 60 games, teams that we might have thought in a regular 162-game season would have no chance of making it. So hopefully that's what we'll be talking about next episode. The Cardinals will be back to playing, the Marlins have been playing, and hopefully the Cincinnati Reds don't have a breakout here. Knock on wood, and uh, they'll, they'll be back playing, and it's just these two postponements here. All right, so let's get to the really disappointing part of this episode here. I know this is uh, we're starting to take a downturn here in this episode, but the NCAA, the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and the Big East have all canceled fall sports this upcoming school year, including football. It's just the, just the most devastating news so far in terms of COVID-19 and, and how it's been uh, affecting sports. This has got to be the most devastating with college football in major conferences like the Big Ten and Pac-12 and Big East being canceled. Yet we have the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12 are still planning on playing this fall, including football. So I, it's just the disparity or the contrast or what's the difference here? What what does the SEC know that the Big 10 doesn't know? And I mean, we had Justin Fields, the starting quarterback for the Ohio State Buckeyes. He recently tried to start a petition to have the Big 10 reconsider. Halting this, there's a lot of players that actually want to play there's they've been giving options for players to opt out if they don't think it's safe if they just would rather get ready for the nfl draft on their own players have been having that option but then they, they they decided to cancel the seasons outright actually are deciding to try to push it to the spring which i'll get to in a second on how dumb of an idea that is but anyways justin fields tried to start the petition to get them to reconsider and then today the Big Ten sent out a statement. I believe the president of the Big Ten, or the commissioner, is Kevin Warren, said they're not going to go back to this issue or, or bring it back up. They're they're sticking with the cancellation, which is just horrible. Because, I mean, right, we, we thought actually that this player's petition and this pe- player's speaking up saying they want to play would actually maybe change some minds, but apparently it hasn't, which is just devastating. But it's just confusing. These players... They've, they've been practicing for months already. They feel really safe when they go to their facilities and and get all the they've already been doing testing. The Ohio State, the Wisconsins, the Michigans, all these teams in the Big Ten have been doing the testing. and now they won't be able to play. And it's just disheartening on on how this has come to this at this point. But the the really interesting thing is, these schools still plan on having students come back to class to begin the semester. So it's an interesting contrast here. And, and the obvious reason on why the NCAA had to cancel these classes is because of clear lawsuit problems that could come up considering these college players are considered amateur players. They're not being paid, of course. So if if a player were to contact the coronavirus and then unfortunately would pass away from it, the the schools could be liable for huge amounts of of money and and be sued and stuff like that. So they're trying to protect their asses that way. But so then, of course, that brings back the discussion of should college athletes be paid, especially the football and, and basketball players, considering how much revenue they bring into their respective universities. And I'll tell you right now, the NCAA is losing this battle badly, and they are just gripping onto anything to keep student athletes as amateurs, so that's one reason why the college football season has been canceled. And I've, uh, I've talked about this before, whether college athletes should be paid or not, and I've, I've struggled with the decision, and I'm not going to talk about that right now. But that's something that the NCAA is clinging on to right now, that they're most likely going to lose in, in coming years, I would assume. But right now it's just uh, the consequences of it, and the reality of it is that they've decided to cancel all fall sports, Up next is is college basketball. They gotta figure that out in time because the the weirdest thing is they they released college football schedules. The Big Ten released a schedule. I saw Wisconsin's schedule. I just saw, hey, look at there's Wisconsin's schedule. They're gonna make it to the Big Ten championship. They'll face Ohio State again. This time they'll beat them. Here you go. Wisconsin's in the in the top four. It was easy as that. I saw it right in front of my eyes. So what happened? (laughs) What happened in between Wisconsin? making it to the college football playoffs after I saw their schedule, what happened in between then and now? I want to know what changed for them to decide, all right, we have to we have to cancel college sports. And, I mean, the, the players are obviously disappointed, and in, in the, the thing is how this could impact a lot of players. Last year, if we didn't have college football, we'd have a new number one pick this year. Joe Burrow would not have been drafted first overall by the Cincinnati Bengals. That's That's how important— one year can be for these college football players so now teams are going to have to go off of last year's tape for guys like justin fields to see if, if there's some some things that they wanted him to improve they won't know if he was able to improve them in game situations so i don't know it's it's just really interesting yet we'll see kids and students go back to classes at a lot of these universities and then of course it'll somehow be virtual online learning after about a week that these kids have been on campus, so we'll see. I mean, but it's just disheartening to see that the NCAA wouldn't even consider it. One thing that the the SEC and ACC and Big Twelve are considering is just pushing back the season. Maybe not starting in September, maybe starting in October if you have to. They're already decided to go to conference schedules. Why not push it back a little bit more and see if you can still fit in a schedule in the twenty nine in the twenty twenty season and still. And, and the thing about and I almost forgot to mention this. They've talked about postponing it to the spring season. You cannot have a spring football season in 2021 and then expect to have a 2021 fall regular football season. That is not safe. You want to talk about safety for these players, they're they're contradicting themselves by thinking about having a spring college football season. That just won't work in in terms of safety for these players. So I don't know. And I don't know how they would expect to have a spring football season for a lot of these players that are going to decide to go to the NFL those players will just stopped out you'll be having t- you'll be having the the worst not the worst I'm sorry you'll be having like the the JV squad of of college teams out on the field when the starters and the stars decide to just go to the NFL draft because the NFL draft can get pushed back as far as I think it's it's the middle of June or something like that without or or maybe the end of May something that before the the players union has a has a right to step step in and stop it but either way a spring football season is unrealistic and in is just contradicting their whole thing of safety for these amateur student athletes so we'll see it's disappointing there's likely no way we're gonna get big 10 football this upcoming season we'll see if the SEC ACC and big 12 hang on and decide to have fall seasons I don't I I don't how do I put this? I don't fault the Big Ten for canceling the season. I'm just, I'm faulting them for doing it now. It seems, I don't, I want to know what changed between when they released schedules to right now. That hasn't been discussed with the public or even the players, and that's why the players are frustrated as well. We all think we know the reason is because they don't want to be liable for these huge lawsuits that could come their way if something were to happen, but they haven't released any other information, and if that's their reasoning, then they have just dug themselves a hole that they won't be able to crawl out of when it comes to paying college athletes. So, no, unlikely that we'll have Big Ten football this off se- or this 2020 season. So uh, we'll see if the SEC and ACC and Big 12 hang on or if they decide to either postpone later. And if they postpone later and then decide, hey, it's still not safe, and then they cancel come that time, then I would understand. But right now, uh, a lot of question marks to why canceling the football season came around and there's just so many repercussions that we don't know about yet like possibly canceling other university fall sports or other just sports in general because of how much revenue football brings in so we'll have to see unfortunate there but all right let's get to my final thought and my final final thought on today's episode of the final final podcast a lot of that right there but anyways fernando Tatis jr the shortstop i believe for the san diego padres a lot of con- Not a lot of controversy, controversy on one side here coming from the Texas Rangers as he, Fernando Tattis Jr., hit a grand slam when the Padres were up six runs in the eighth inning on the Texas Rangers, and he had a 3-0 count, three balls, zero strikes. And I believe he's being criticized by some Texas Rangers players and their manager who was upset because he broke a supposed, quotations around this here, unwritten rule of baseball, that he's supposed to let that pitch go. It's 3-0. Bases are loaded. He's supposed to let that pitch go. The the pitcher threw three balls, no strikes. Usually you don't swing on those because there's a possibility of drawing a walk. He hits a grand slam off of this. In a, and supposedly this is an unwritten rule of baseball. Excuse me, how is this an? Un, why is he? Why was he being criticized? The 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 national media, players, on, on other teams and stuff have, have come to back him up. He even had to apologize for this apparently, which is ridiculous in its own sense. But how is this an unwritten rule of baseball? First of all, unwritten rules we've already discussed, or not discussed, we've already decided, and everybody knows this, the reason that they're unwritten rules is because if you were to write them down, you would see how silly and ridiculous that they are. But this one, supposedly being an unwritten rule, why would a team not try to score as many runs as they possibly can? This isn't like basketball or football where it's a time-limited game. This is a reach a certain point, reach three outs in the bottom of the ninth or the top of the ninth inning, then the game is over. You're thinking just because they're up six runs that the Texas Rangers can't score six or seven runs in in the next two innings. We've seen innings where teams have scored nine, ten plus runs. So why would a team slow down all of a sudden? Because they're up six runs already. That, that, That doesn't make any sense. So the Texas Rangers players and managers being upset about this is ridiculous. There should be No such thing as as unwritten rules, or at least unwritten rules that ridiculous where a player is being criticized for hitting a home run. The other thing about it is, Fernando Tatis Jr., when he is done with his rookie contract here, is going to get paid based on his stats. So hitting a home run is good for his stats, is good for what his next contract is going to be, which this kid looks like a superstar already, looks like a possible MVP candidate this year. Hopefully we'll be able to talk about that in my next podcast episode. But anyways... This, this is something where he's just supposed to take a strike or take a ball or something like this and get a walk, a walk versus a home run, a grand slam nonetheless, which is RBIs. This is all stats that teams look at when deciding to pay players. I don't know why he would do that and how this is supposedly a topic of controversy for the Texas Rangers and why a, a player would be mad because on the next pitch that the, the pitcher threw, he threw at a San Diego Padres player, almost hitting him because of his frustration and the manager voicing his frustration and then this kid had to go and apologize because apparently that's that's something that you're not supposed to do which everybody has come to back him at this point that's just that's just stupid i mean when the packers are up 35 to 10 on the bears and and there's six minutes left in the game aaron Rodgers is going to throw the touchdown if Devontae adams is wide open in the end zone 30 yards downfield no one's going to criticize them for that now of course there's like kneeling the ball when there's 50 seconds left and you're up by 20 points or something like that yeah the game's in hand and and there's the thing with basketball where the time limit's up you're up by 20 your team just dribbles it out for the last 15 seconds but there's still two innings left in this game so i don't know how this was a a topic of controversy for the texas rangers and this kid has has continued to play hard he actually stole uh third base the next game when the team was leading in the sixth inning i believe so he he apologized but i'm not sure if if that was more for a pr thing that that someone asked him to do but he's continued to play so that's that's good to see but these unwritten rules are uh, just ridiculous because we've already we've seen now why they are considered unwritten rules because when we start talking about them and saying out loud you're up 6 runs in the 8th inning you should not hit a home run that sounds pretty silly especially or, or the reason was because it's a 3-0 count it sounds pretty silly when you say it out loud so uh that's why these are considered unwritten rules and nobody really likes the thought of someone trying to enforce an unwritten rule. So that was one thing that I wanted to bring up for my final thought today on this podcast episode. All right, and then final, final thought here to end off the episode. Here's a, something that can hopefully turn around the sour part of the episode that we just had with the MLB and NCAA. Dwayne The Rock Johnson has purchases the XFL for I think around 15 million dollars. This is just fantastic. Everything Dwayne Johnson touches turns to gold. So you know this is going to work. It's, it's it's not debatable. You might not like his movies that he's in, so you might not like uh, Jumanji or, or the other ones or San Andreas or all Rampage, all these movies. You might not like them, but you've watched them, right? You you went to the movie theater or you watched it when it came on TV. So I mean, he's, he's making money whether you like it or not and you watch it. So this the XFL with Dwayne The Rock Johnson at, at the helm is going to be fantastic. But something that was brought up at one point is, should the XFL get things back up to running as soon as they possibly can and should The Rock make an XFL bubble and allow players, college players especially, to come and join and play this game and have, and should the XFL have a season before the NFL draft this year, kind of have their own college football season. And I'll tell you what, if they were able to do that, I haven't heard any legitimacy to this rumor that I've, that I've heard, but I am 100% behind this. And I, if there's one person that could do it, it would be Dwayne Johnson. I mean, they, he could be able to do this. Like I said, everything he, he's involved in is fantastic, whether you like it or not. It, uh, is, it's successful. So the XFL is going to be a success. Should the XFL have their own college football season, getting the the big 10 and the pac 12 and once they get them on board maybe the sec and, and acc and big 12 will hop into then we'll have a uh, college football xfl style i think that would be great this is this is what i'm uh hoping on to save the college football in, in big 10 season is dwayne johnson getting a hand involved and and saving us for uh not having to watch wisconsin badger football this year that's my hope at least So that's my final, final thought for today on the final, final podcast. Dwayne Johnson saving Big Ten football by purchasing the XFL. We'll see if it happens. Cross your fingers. A lot of that going around recently. All right. That's all I have for you today on this episode of the final, final podcast. Thanks for tuning in next week, like our next episode at least. We'll talk about the NBA bubble. We'll see if we're into round two and see how which teams have progressed and moved on. We'll also continue with nfl training camp we are i believe under 20 days away from september 5th chiefs texans week one of the nfl season so make sure you tune in for my next podcast episode we'll finish up with my predictions as well afc and nfce so you won't want to miss that thanks for tuning in stay safe everybody stay sane um, hope you enjoyed thanks for tuning in and that is the final, final.